0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The House passes a new bill aimed at enhancing global competition, helping the U.S. compete with China and working with the country on climate change. But how will the U.S. do so while holding China accountable for its human rights abuses? Trans athletes are smashing records in women's competitions. In the name of giving females a fair chance, South Dakota bans males from joining women-only sports. A judge in Virginia temporarily halts Governor Yunkin's executive order against mask mandates. 29 students who did not wear masks to school were suspended on Wednesday in Loudoun County. NTD speaks with them and their parents. Shares of Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, saw a historic plunge Thursday. That's after the social media giant reported a rare profit drop. Meta says the losses are due to increasing expenses and competition. But could there be another reason? And the Beijing Winter Olympics officially start today. Journalists on the ground tell of an Olympics like no other, from restrictions to soaring prices. Capitol Hill today, the Democrat-controlled House passed the America Competes Act, a bill aimed at maintaining America's competitive edge with China. It passed along party lines, but one Democrat, Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy of Florida, voted against the bill, and one Republican, Representative Adam Kinzinger, joined Democrats to pass it. Our reporter Melina Weisskopf has the details.
1: So the lack of Republican support on this bill comes as no surprise. We've heard from House Republicans all week that they are opposed to this bill. Um, that some of them are even calling it the America Concedes Act because they say it doesn't do enough to um, be, to challenge China and be tough on China. Now, another thing about this bill is that it does include some of those Build Back Better provisions, specifically the climate change proposals, that may be because the Senate right now has stalled that Build Back Better bill. So with that piece of the Biden agenda stalled, House Democrats took this opportunity and included some of those climate change pieces in this America Competes Act. Now, the bill actually calls for increased cooperation with China to address climate change, while at the same time trying to crack down on them for their human rights abuses. Now, earlier this week, I asked Speaker Pelosi how they can balance this relationship. How can you try to increase cooperation with China while at the same time trying to hold them accountable for human rights. Here's how she responded. How can you ensure that while increasing that cooperation, you can also be sure that the Chinese Communist Party is taking the sanctions in Xinjiang seriously and not try to get around those sanctions?
2: Well, we are very serious about the, uh, the Uyghur legislation that we passed in a bipartisan way will have the funding to fund our our follow-up on checking on what country companies might be using products coming from prison labor camps. So again, we cannot say—because we hope you'll you'll do something on um, climate—that we can ignore the fact that you're committing genocide of a population in your country. That's just not going to happen.
1: Now, passing it through the House doesn't mean it's a done deal. The fight is not over. It still has to go over to the Senate side and garner enough Republican support to get it to Biden's desk. But ultimately, I think what we'll see is a genuine bipartisan discussion on this bill. Ultimately, I expect those more domestic areas to stay in the bill, such as the CHIPS Act, because we know that that will help the production with our uh, those computer chips that are that have a shortage right now, as well as the investments in the education part of it, trying to invest more in that education to create more innovation and technology. I expect that will also stay in, but ultimately ultimately, I think we're going to see a very strong and genuine bipartisan discussion on this, and uh, some version of it will make it to Biden's desk. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News.
0: The U.S. economy has added more jobs than expected. That's according to a report released today by the Bureau of Labor Statistics.
3: Our country is taking everything that COVID has to throw at us, and we've come back stronger. I'm pleased to report this morning, but many of you already know, that America's job machine is going stronger than ever. Biden
4: touted that the economy added 467,000 jobs last month. That's two times higher than the Dow Jones predicted. And overall, 6.6 million jobs were created over the last 12 months. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate in January inched up from 39 to 4%, the first increase in the jobless rate since June 2021. However, Republican Senator Mike Lee said that inflation is eating away people's paychecks even if they have jobs. And economist Steve Moore is concerned about the recent overall slowdown of the economy. Uh, so we're seeing a reduction in industrial production. We're seeing less capital spending by our businesses. We already have high inflation, and we don't want growth to stall out because that would lead to stagflation. This afternoon, Biden visited Maryland, where he met with union workers. He signed an executive order which aims to boost the rights of workers in unions in their negotiations for federal construction projects. There are going to be thousands, thousands of people put to work. The administration says it will speed up building times and benefit 200,000 construction workers. These union contracts can inflate the cost of these programs by 25 or 30 percent. And that means, you know, we have less money to available then to build new roads and to repair the roads and, and bridges that we already have. Moore said that he wants workers to be well paid, but that Biden is more eager to make the unions happy rather than getting the infrastructure safe and modernized.
0: Some schools permit males identifying as females to compete in women's sports. And some of those athletes are smashing records and winning medals, leaving women in the dust. South Dakota's governor is the latest official to ban some of these transgender practices. NTD's Miguel Moreno has the details.
5: South Dakota has banned males from playing in female-only sports and vice versa. After signing off on the ban, Republican Governor Kristi Nome was asked how she would justify the new law to her transgender friends and family.
6: This bill's about fairness. It's about allowing biological females um, and their sex to compete fairly on a level playing field that gives them opportunities for success.
5: The law takes effect on July 1st and it will affect both K-12 through schools and colleges. But males would still be able to play alongside females only if schools and institutions designate the sport or athletic event as co-educational or mixed. Otherwise, the sport would be for either males or females only. The American Civil Liberties Union has condemned the law. In a statement on Twitter, it said, This cruel and dangerous law is part of a coordinated attack on trans youth moving nationwide. Politicians across the nation are trying to send the message that trans people don't belong in their communities exactly as they are. Some males who identify as female, such as swimmer Leah Thomas and weightlifter Laurel Hubbard, are breaking records and winning medals in women's sports. Critics say that trans athletes like Thomas and Hubbard have an unfair competitive advantage due to their significant biological differences. Miguel Moreno, NTD News.
0: 22-year-old Amir Locke died this week after he was shot by Minneapolis police who were serving a search warrant. Police have released body cam video of the incident, and Locke's parents are accusing the officer of unjustly killing their son, whose name wasn't on the warrant. NTD's Miguel Moreno reports.
5: It was Wednesday, 6 in the morning, when Minneapolis police unlocked the door of this apartment to serve a search warrant, part of a homicide investigation. An officer shot Amir Locke three times. According to the medical examiner, the 22-year-old later died at a hospital. Minneapolis interim police chief Amelia Huffman says that Locke wasn't named on the warrant. His family says they'll seek justice for their son.
7: I'm going to
0: fight every day, throughout the day, 365 days, to make sure that Amir Rikari
8: Locke gets justice for being executed by the MPD.
5: In the body camera video, Locke is seen emerging from under a blanket, holding a pistol before he shot. Hubbard says the officer who shot Locke had to make a split-second decision when he saw the gun. Renowned attorney Ben Crump represents the Locke family. He says the man had a right to reach for his gun.
7: Strange people bust in his house, awaken him from his sleep, and he reached for his weapon, which he has a Second Amendment right to, to defend himself.
5: He also condemned the police department's use of a no-knock warrant, a type of warrant that, in his view, has deadly consequences for black Americans. Interim Police Chief Huffman says they had both knock and no-knock warrants. Huffman says she isn't clear on how or whether Locke is connected to the homicide investigation. Miguel Moreno, NTD News.
9: Six
0: police officers have been shot in New York City in the first month of the year. Two of them died. NOW SOME ARE BLAMING THE NEW MANHATTAN DISTRICT ATTORNEY FOR THAT. NTD'S ARIAN PASDAR HAS MORE FROM NEW YORK.
10: NEW YORK REPUBLICANS AND COMMUNITY LEADERS GOT TOGETHER HERE TODAY IN FRONT OF THE OFFICE OF MANHATTAN'S DISTRICT ATTORNEY. THEY TALKED ABOUT VIOLENT CRIME IN THE CITY AND THEY'RE CALLING ON THE DISTRICT ATTORNEY TO RESIGN.
7: WE NEED TO COME TOGETHER, ALL NEW YORKERS FROM EVERYWHERE, AND CALL FOR HIM TO BE REMOVED. HE'S CORRUPTING THE OFFICE OF THE DISTRICT ATTORNEY. By imposing his personal ideology into the office
10: a month ago manhattan district attorney alvin bragg took office he then sent out a memo to his staff ordering not to prosecute certain crimes and make incarceration a matter of last resort a speaker at today's event warned that new york city might regress to the state it once was in if people keep voting the way they do now i know what it's like to sleep on the floor because gunfire
8: is coming into your home. We don't want that again. We have a mayor that wants to turn the city around. we got to elect people that are going to work with our mayor that's going to right this wrong.
10: Mayor Eric Adams previously said that he doesn't agree with many of the new rules implemented by D.A. Bragg. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York.
0: And this just in, District Attorney Bragg says his office will now prosecute armed robberies as felonies. That's contradictory to his earlier orders, saying they should be treated as shoplifting if a suspect displays a weapon but does not create a genuine risk of physical harm. And hundreds of migrants in a southern Mexican city are protesting the slow pace of government visa approvals. They're now threatening to form a fresh caravan that would head to the U.S. border. The migrants are largely from Haiti and parts of Latin America. They've been stuck in Tapachula, Mexico amid lengthy wait times for asylum and visa requests. The migrants protested outside the offices of Mexico's National Migration Institute near the Guatemalan border. They demand documents that would regularize their stay in Mexico or let them cross the border without being detained. Mexico has tried to stem large waves of migrants traveling in U.S.-bound caravans. The country's National Migration Institute released a statement saying marches and demonstrations were not necessary for them to complete migrants' paperwork. And shares of Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, saw a historic plunge Thursday. That's after the social media giant reported a rare profit drop. Meta says the losses are due to increasing expenses and competition. But NTD's Chenny Wu spoke to one congressional candidate who says there may be another reason behind Meta's decline.
6: Facebook lost close to 500,000 subscribers over the last three months for the first time in its 18-year history. On Thursday, the parent company's stock, Meta, plummeted 26 percent, shaving more than $220 billion of its value, setting the record for the largest one-day value drop in stock market history. Facebook attributes the plunge to a sharp rise in expenses, shaky ad revenue growth, competition from TikTok, and fewer daily U.S. users on its flagship platform. However, Blake Harbin, a Republican congressional candidate for Georgia's 6th district, gives a different reason.
4: It's the never-ending censorship that they're continuing to do.
6: He adds it's no coincidence that the stock drop came after Facebook removed the page of American truckers who are protesting against vaccine mandates.
4: Look, they're not organizing a domestic terror or a bombing or something of a building. They're organizing a peaceful protest.
6: Harbin says big tech should not censor voices for simply having different views.
4: The way big tech has been working, it's really holding us back. It won't let us get our message out.
6: And as for Facebook.
4: It's a true wake up call for them so they can start seeing that the American people just aren't gonna tolerate it anymore.
6: Harbin, who's also a small business owner, adds that his own campaign video has been censored on both Facebook and YouTube.
4: What's wrong with it? I said the only thing I can figure out is I say I'm a a conservative in there.
6: Republicans are using the repression of free speech as a key talking point ahead of midterm elections in November. Chenny Wu, NTD News.
0: The day Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin took office, he signed an executive order that let parents decide whether their children should wear masks in school. Now a judge has blocked the governor's order, allowing the mask mandates to stay in place. And TD's Jason Perry has the story.
9: This is blatant political theater, and it needs to end.
7: (laughs) Marianne Jensen of Prince William County in Virginia thinks school mask mandates aren't right. Kids
9: are getting sick despite wearing masks. We are forcing healthy children home for exposure despite them wearing masks and we are segregating children by vaccination status and religious exemption status despite the wearing of masks. So I ask you if masks work, why don't they? I know
7: she went on to say that she asked Superintendent Doctor Latonya McDade what she could do to get the kids out of masks.
9: Dr. McDay told me that she would if she could, but that her hands were tied by then-Governor Northam's executive order mandating face coverings. And if it weren't for that, things would be different. Well, tonight, things are different.
7: Virginia's new governor, Glenn Youngkin, issued an executive order allowing parents to opt out of school mask mandates for their children. It went into effect on January 24th. But many schools in Virginia have refused to comply and are suspending students who don't wear a mask. One is a senior in high school who is an Eagle Scout and a public safety cadet with the local police department.
3: You have an excellent young man. It, he, he really he is a superb young man. And it's very difficult to, to be having this type of conversation.
1: I, I need to be able to read people. I
11: need to be able to understand what they're saying and all the, the little things that they're not saying and what they're doing. So... I can't do that with the masks and it makes me anxious for that reason.
7: Previously in Jared School District, a student identifying as a transgender sexually assaulted a girl in the women's restroom. Instead of being suspended, the teen was transferred to another school where another sexual assault occurred. We have
12: someone refusing to wear a mask, whether it's Fairfax, whether it's Loudon, whether it's Prince William, they're refusing to wear a mask and they're going to be suspended. So the hypocrisy of this school system and the school systems of the of the
13: Ilk is unbelievably huge.
7: Loudoun County Public Schools said 29 students were suspended Wednesday for failure to follow COVID-19 mitigation measures, and the students may return to school once they adhere to the rules. One 10-year-old fourth grader is on her sixth two-day suspension. Her mother says there is more to a kid's well-being than being physically sick. There is also the child's emotional and psychological well-being, depression, and how he or she
1: interacts with others. And I'm the parent, right? So why I I know what's best for her. So it's between Brona and myself to decide what we would like to do or what she would like to do. And I would support her.
7: Her daughter, Brona, has one wish for the day when the mask mandate is lifted at her school.
10: Uh, once it ends and I can go back to school without a mask, um, my hope was that Governor Yankin would walk me to class.
7: Three families filed a lawsuit on Tuesday against Loudoun County Public Schools. On Friday, a judge temporarily blocked Yunkin's executive order. The ruling means that school mask mandates may remain in place, at least for now. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: Coming up, the official start to the Beijing Winter Olympics. Which world leaders are attending? And what's it like on the ground inside the Olympic bubble? And which Which events are next in the games? And who are the favorites? We'll look into that and more here on NTD News. The Beijing Winter Olympics have officially kicked off. Already making headlines this year's guest list, the experience of journalists on the ground, and the seemingly inflated prices. NTD's Tiffany Meyer brings us more about what's inside the Beijing bubble.
14: The 2020 Winter Games are here, but what world leaders are attending? Beijing revealed its guest list Friday, and over 20 influential foreign visitors made the cut. Russian President Vladimir Putin was the first to confirm his presence at the Games. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres soon followed, along with Director General Tedros of the World Health Organization. From Europe, both Poland and Serbia's presidents are on the list. Leaders from Africa, Asia and the Middle East also accepted the invitation. Among them, Egypt's president, Thailand's prince and princess, the emir of Qatar and Saudi Arabia's crown prince. But as those nations seem to express support for the Beijing Games, some democratic nations are standing up to oppose them. The U.S., Britain, Canada, Australia and Denmark announced diplomatic boycotts of the Games. That's driven by China's record of human rights violations, including its suppression of Uyghurs in Xinjiang. Others are taking a less direct approach. The Norwegian and Swedish royal families usually attend the Winter Games, but they are opting not to go this year, citing the pandemic. Compared to Beijing's hosting of the 2008 Summer Olympics, this year's event comes amid worsening relations with many Western nations. Back then, heads of 80 countries appeared at the Games, including then-U.S. President George W. Bush and former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd. Reports from Beijing are sharing first looks at the Olympics opening ceremony. Thousands of journalists from around the world worked under strict COVID-19 restrictions during the event, which kicked off Friday evening local time. Like athletes and other staff, reporters are confined to what's called the Olympic bubble or closed loop, designed to isolate them from the general population. Under those rules, journalists are only allowed to visit a limited number of sites and aren't allowed to move freely through the Chinese capital. Vicky Ivanovic, a senior reporter from Croatia's national broadcaster HRT, described the situation, saying journalists feel like they're in jail.
15: We feel here uh, like we're in jail. We can't go out of hotel. Uh, police is outside, the big uh, fence is there. Uh, I can't feel Olympic spirit. Maybe when uh, uh, st- everything starts, it will be different, but I-, I don't know. It's really, really weird.
14: Early Friday morning, a reporter for Dutch public broadcaster NOS was pulled away while reporting live on the Dutch national news. He had been standing nearby Beijing's national stadium. The Chinese man forcing them out of the area was heard speaking in a seemingly thick Beijing area accent. He told the journalist that reporting in the area was not allowed and instructed him to stay further away. The Dutch journalists attempted to report from a number of nearby locations, but shooting video there was prohibited. Six dollars for a can of Coke, plus a 20 percent service charge. That's a rough idea of soaring food prices inside the Beijing Olympics closed loop. New York Times reporter Amy Ching posted about her experience inside the loop, including a photo of the menu, supposedly from the Olympics Media Center dining hall. Ching calls the food situation exceedingly grim and says no outside food delivery is allowed either. A reporter from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation replied to Qing saying, let's see, 78 yuan for a small can of Xintao beer, referring to a typo on the menu which should read beer, not bear. That's a little over 12 U.S. dollars. The higher end of the same drink, the same brand and same size usually costs no more than a dollar in China. The reporter, Bill Bertels, later found a more extreme price. Pointing it out, he said 58 for a Watson soda water. That's about $9. A reply to that comment also gives a reminder, saying the 20% service charge is not included. Team USA figure skater Nathan
0: Chen scored a personal best in the men's short program in Beijing today. The performance helped put the U.S. in front in the team's competition.
3: Chen's score of 111.71 was the highest of the day and was just 11 hundredths of a point behind the world record. The 22-year-old's program started off with a quadruple flip and later included a triple axle. He also added in a quad Lutz triple toe combination for good measure. The performance helped erase the disappointment of Chen's first Olympic experience four years ago where instead of challenging for gold, he struggled in the team and individual competitions. But Friday, the three-time world champion looked poised to capture gold. To do so, he'll have to beat his chief rival, Japan's Yuzuru Hanyu. The 10-team event will continue on Sunday with the women's short program and men's free skate. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York.
0: Competitions for six of the 15 disciplines at the Olympics are already underway, though no medals will be won until Saturday. NTD's Dave Martin has the lowdown of what to watch for in the third of this three-part Olympic preview.
3: Short track speed skating is one of the most exciting and yet chaotic events at the Olympics. Unlike in speed skating, where two competitors race against the clock in a single round time trial-like event, short track speed skating is all about position. Anywhere from four to six athletes compete in a race with the top finishers advancing from the first heats through three rounds to the finals. Competitors are bunched together and constantly jockeying for position. Helmets are required as the risk of falling is great. Korea historically has had the most success in this sport. Cross-country skiing features 12 events in the Winter Games. Sweden's Charlotte Kalla, who's won nine Olympic medals, is the most decorated Swedish Olympic female athlete of all time and is a star of this discipline. Her incredible heroics in the 2014 Games, where she rallied her country's 4x5 kilometer relay team by erasing a 25-second deficit on the anchor leg to bring home the gold, is the stuff of Olympic legends. She's the headliner of a women's team that's favored to dominate. The skeleton competition is one of three ice sliding events at these games and with just a single men's and women's event is one of the smallest. The competitors lie flat just a few centimeters off the ice on a sled with no brakes that reaches speeds of upwards of 80 miles an hour. Germany's Christopher Grothier is a favorite on the men's side while the retirement of Great Britain's Elizabeth Yarnold makes it a wide open competition for the women. Nordic combined is made up of ski-jumping and cross-country skiing and has been a staple of the Winter Games since 1924. The discipline features just three men's competitions while no women's events have ever been added to the schedule. Germany's Eric Frenzel medaled at all three events in 2018 and is expected to add to his haul in these games. The bobsleigh was one of the original Winter Games competitions back in 1924 as well. With speed reaching more than 90 miles an hour, it's already a popular attraction. Its popularity gained in 1988 when the first ever Jamaican team, who were heavy underdogs, qualified, competed, and captured the hearts of the crowds. The Germans, who've won more all-time golds in this competition than any other country, swept the golds last time and are favorite again this year. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York.
0: Coming up, a California mother is raising awareness about her fentanyl-addicted son on the streets of San Francisco. She says the city's lenient policies on crime are to blame. Automakers reporting earnings. We take a look at the current state of the industry. What are the most recent trends and what are the obstacles? San Francisco, a mother whose son is addicted to fentanyl, is asking for help. She describes the heartbreaking scene of looking at her son suffering a slow death. She blames the city's policies on how it handles crime.
2: Jackie Berlin has a 32-year-old son, Corey, who is addicted to fentanyl. In an interview with Epic TV's California Insider Show, she said he is now homeless and has been left physically bent over and walks like an old man.
16: The people that are there that are homeless and addicted are being preyed upon and they are deteriorating slowly. It's a slow death.
2: Her son was introduced to drugs as a teenager and became addicted after suffering from anxiety and depression. Berlin blames city officials' leniency on drugs that led to the lawlessness in the streets. She has been imploring policymakers to enforce stricter laws that criminalize drug use and sales in the city. She says Proposition 47, a law that reduced some lower-level crimes to misdemeanors from felonies and other state laws, has led to fewer arrests for possessing small amounts of drugs and shoplifting.
16: They're definitely not cracking down on these open-air drug scenes, and they're allowing it um, to flourish. And the solution that I hear is um, safe injection sites. My son says that that's — he said that then there'll just be more people like him on the street because they're they're just making it easier to be a drug addict. They're normalizing drug addiction.
2: In the past, she traveled throughout the Tenderloin neighborhood to find her son. She described the area as a zombie apocalypse with drug dealers on street corners accompanied by homeless drug addicts. Her son wanted to get sober, but when he called a rehabilitation center, he was told there was no space for him. So he eventually turned back to drugs. His greatest fear is, is detoxing
16: from fentanyl because it's supposed to be incredibly horrible and it's actually um, he could even die from it if he's not getting help and being monitored.
2: The city's data reveals the number of overdose fatalities in 2020 nearly tripled the number of COVID deaths. A protest organized by Mothers Against Drug Deaths is planned at United Nations Plaza in San Francisco on Saturday. In a tweet, Berlin called the community to join her.
0: Tesla is recalling more than 800,000 vehicles due to a faulty seatbelt reminder. Impacted vehicles include 2021 and 2022 models X, S, 3 and Y. The problem is the seatbelt chime fails to sound in some Teslas when a driver exits the vehicle while it is ringing and then re-enters. Since that chime is controlled by software, Tesla plans to fix the issue by sending an over-the-air update. That means owners will not have to bring their vehicles to a service center for the fix. It marks the second time this week Tesla has issued a recall. The first was related to a problem with the company's self-driving software. That issue allowed vehicles in its pilot program to roll through stop signs without coming to a complete stop. Coming up, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is busy reshaping his inner circle. This after fifth aide quit number 10. Four senior aides resigned yesterday within hours, including the Prime Minister's long-term ally. Europe could be entering into a COVID-19 ceasefire. This while Sweden, Norway and Denmark ease restrictions and return to some form of normalcy. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's inner circle is hollowed out after five senior aides quit, including his chief of staff, his principal private secretary, his director of communications, and a special advisor. And seen as most damaging, the director of the Number 10 policy unit also resigned. Ministers said Johnson is reshaping his top team following the Partygate report. The Prime Minister acknowledges it's a challenging time, but he says change is good. And TD's Earl Rhodes has more.
13: Prime Minister Boris Johnson is having to consider a reshape of his inner circle following a string of resignations from his top team as he battles to stay in number 10. In the wake of the resignations, he attempted to rally staff on Friday morning with a line from Disney's The Lion King, telling them change is good. It came as the Prime Minister's official spokesman confirmed that Eleanor Narazanski, a special adviser in the No. 10 policy unit, was also quitting. Four senior staff members resigned within hours of one another on Thursday. What observers see as the most damaging, the Prime Minister's long-term ally, Munira Munza, quitting as the director of the No. 10 policy unit. Mirza first advised the Prime Minister as London Mayor more than a decade ago. In her resignation letter, she wrote it was over his falsely tying Jimmy Savile with the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, earlier this week. She wrote she had urged her boss to apologise for giving what she called a misleading impression about Starmer's role in the Crown Prosecution Service's failure to prosecute Savile. The Prime Minister backtracked on the claim, but stopped short of an apology. Chief of Staff Dan Rosenfield, Principal Private Secretary Martin Reynolds, and Director of Communications Jack Doyle followed Mercer out of the door. The three men were embroiled in the Partygate scandal, and Energy Minister Greg Hans suggested their departures were linked to a clear out after civil servant Sue Gray's inquiry into the allegations. Hans said it was the Prime Minister's taking charge after the battering he had endured over Partygate. Reynolds's resignation had been expected after he invited at least 100 staff to a bring-your-own-booze party in the No. 10 Garden during the first lockdown. Rosenfield was also expected to go after Sue Gray's update on her investigation into Partygate criticised failures of leadership. Doyle is reported to have attended at least two of the 12 events in Downing Street and wider government that are being investigated by police. The Prime Minister's official spokesman said the departures of the three other senior aides announced on Thursday had all been agreed before Merz's shock resignation. Earl Rhodes, NTD News.
0: The World Health Organization's Europe director said the continent is going to enter a ceasefire in terms of the pandemic. And while the director says they have a much higher level of population defense against the virus, he says governments should still promote social distancing and hand sanitizing to keep the virus at bay.
4: The
11: firm Dr. I Hans Kluge, the WHO Europe director, told reporters in Geneva that this period of higher protection should be seen as a ceasefire that could bring them enduring peace. Kluge pointed to three advantages the region has. First, a large capital of vaccine-derived and natural immunity by Omicron. Second,
4: a favorable seasonality pause as we move out of the winter.
11: And third, a lower severity of the Omicron variant now well established. He said as Europe is making it through the winter and as Omicron is less severe, they could be in for a long period of tranquility in the fight against the virus. The government in Sweden announced it's going to end all its COVID-19 restrictions in the coming week. Prime Minister Magdalena Andersen said on Wednesday, It is time to open up Sweden again. While the pandemic is not over, it has entered an entirely new phase. She said the restrictions will be dropped on February 9th, and people working remotely should plan to return to the workplace gradually. And Norway is ending most of its lockdown measures immediately. Though COVID cases there are rising, they're unlikely to put health services in jeopardy, according to the prime minister. And the prime minister of Finland said the country will end all of its COVID mitigation measures beginning next month. Prime Minister Sanna Martin said on Monday her Social Democratic-led government is going to negotiate with other parts of Parliament on the exact time. And then on Monday, Finland will open its borders with the Schengen area, which is 26 countries in Europe that have done away with their internal borders. Denmark is the first country in the European Union to open up completely. That's despite a record number of virus cases. The Danes can now access restaurants, museums, nightclubs and cafes, and masking will not be mandatory.
0: And going to France, COVID restrictions such as social distancing or work-from-home guidance have left a lasting impact on young adults' mental health. That's the result of a recent survey. A clinical psychologist in France says anxiety and other forms of mental issues are surging among young people, including those who don't usually have the profile for it. This report comes from NTD's France correspondent, David Vives.
15: Nearly two thirds of young French adults believe that the pandemic will have negative consequences on their mental health. And almost half of 22 to 24 years old who have been living on their own show levels of anxiety that require psychiatric evaluation. These are some of the results of a recent Ipsos poll on behalf of the Fundamental Foundation. Fundamental, which offers young people a platform for support, says the results are alarming. According to clinical psychologist Marie-Estelle Dupont, who works with families and young people, the French use has been sacrificed by the government's pandemic measures.
8: I think that when a society has reached this point, it is critical to stop and think about what we're doing.
15: She says that due to COVID-19 restrictions, people in need of assistance often couldn't get help. And some show signs of serious mental illness at unusual ages.
8: Today, some mental health services are overwhelmed. Some mothers who have never shown any sign of a mental health issue before, when they arrive at a hospital, they show self-harming and aberrant behavior. They are diagnosed with schizophrenia at an age when usually you should not have it, if there was no sign of it before.
15: The survey also shows that some pandemic measures, such as social distancing or work-from-home guidance, seem to have worsened the anxiety of young adults. Dupont also says some government decrees such as mandates to wear a face mask or get vaccinated often did not make much sense to people.
8: We sometimes see similarities between the government's communication and dark psychology. I'm talking about manipulation and wickedness in the name of doing good to people. We do them wrong. We're dividing people, we despise them, accuse them or make them feel guilty.
15: According to Dupont, the human brain is designed to find resources when feeling challenged. But living in absurd situations left some people without solution for themselves, which led to anxiety.
8: And there is an inversion in the meaning of words. We sometimes hear that some citizens have lost their mind. But in the situation we're living in, it makes sense to lose our mind.
15: On a positive note, the poll finds that when young adults sought psychological help, The vast majority of them were able to recover relatively quickly. More than 80% of those adults found solutions to their problems after up to three therapy sessions. David DuVest, NTD News, Paris.
0: The European Central Bank keeping the low interest rates unchanged despite record inflation and other economies already set to tighten their monetary policy. NTD's Evelyn Lee spoke to experts to find out what choices the Central Bank is facing.
17: The European Central Bank says inflation is running hotter than it expected and risks are tilted to the upside. Instead of eurozone prices increasing 4.4 percent like expected, annual inflation hit a record 5.1 percent in January. ECB President Christine Lagarde addressed inflation at a press conference Thursday. She said she will leave interest rates unmoved, at least for now, until more data is available in March. We will be in a position
14: to make a thorough assessment again on the basis of data
9: and I cannot prejudge what that will be.
14: The EU isn't alone in
17: dealing with inflation. The Bank of England imposed its first back-to-back interest rate hikes since 2004. And in the US, Wall Street predicts the Fed will raise rates up to seven times this year. So why the hesitancy in the eurozone? Economist Daniel Lacaya says it's a difficult choice between curbing inflation or maintaining cheap financing for states that spend more than they make.
7: On the one hand, inflation in the eurozone is at a 30-year high Uh, And at the same time, you have a number of member states in the eurozone which have enormous deficits that they could not uh, finance uh, in a normal situation unless the ECB purchased the the entirety of the net issuances.
17: To finance those deficits, states are taking on debt.
12: The problem is the, the public debt, when the government sells bonds, and it adds to the public debt, there's no program in place to ever pay that money back.
17: Michael Buzzler, a professor of finance, says they sell new bonds to pay back old bonds. But that could become a very heavy burden for future generations to carry. Instead, Buzzler and Lakaya say the ECB should raise interest rates as soon as possible. And even faster than that, the ECB should stop printing money to buy those bonds. Although the EU may be afraid of going into recession, Buzzler thinks it isn't an issue. According to him, the economy has seen steady growth in the past months. What's more important is to curb inflation sooner rather than later.
12: So it puts a a hardship on um, lower income workers and fixed income. It also leads to a bad psychology and that eventually leads to um, a wage price spiral that's unsustainable.
17: With higher prices, people ask for increased wages which then drives prices further up. Buzzler says to finally get out of it would be very difficult and could bring on a severe recession. Evelyn Lee, NTD News.
0: Russia says it is shutting down German broadcaster DW's operations in Moscow and stripping its staff of their accreditation. This is in retaliation after a German regulator banned German language programs of Russian state broadcaster RT. NTD's Anna Rodriguez has more on this.
8: Russia's foreign ministry announced that it was shutting down the Moscow office of German public broadcaster Deutsche Welle, or DW, and withdrawing its staff's accreditations. A ministry statement said the decision was the first stage of measures in response to a German regulator ordering Russia's state-owned RT to cease broadcasting its German-language programs in the country earlier this week. That's DW's English news.
2: This is DW News live from Berlin. Banned in Russia.
8: DW's Director General condemned the move.
7: Now our correspondents maybe have to leave Russia uh, directly. And here in Germany, every Russian journalist can work freely. So I think this is uh, an overreaction.
8: Russia also said it will declare DW a foreign agent a designation that carries additional government scrutiny and strong pejorative connotations aimed at discrediting the recipient. And Moscow said it will also bar German officials involved in banning RT from entering Russia.
7: But I think we can't compare both because uh, Deutsche Welle is a public service media independent from the state. Russia today isn't.
8: Limburg said DW will continue their Russian program which is aired from Germany.
7: Um, we will probably also intensify our reports about Russia. So I don't think that this was a very smart measure of the Russian side.
8: He said DW will take legal action against the move. Anna Rodriguez, NTD News.
0: Up next, winter sport fans in the Northeast are taking advantage of the snowstorm. At least 10 inches have fallen, which makes for great skiing conditions. And a blue beer delights the French with its unique look and fresh taste. The new drink is made from a special algae that contains natural pigments. All that and more after this short break. The latest major winter storm to hit New England is generating some of the best conditions of the season for skiers in Vermont. The Stowe Mountain Resort reported this morning that 10 inches of snow had fallen overnight, and it's continuing to come
3: down.
15: A skier from Maine was in Vermont for a ski meet and got to take the day off to enjoy the snow.
3: Ski season so far in the East Coast has been uh, not too ideal. The snowfall amounts have been a little low but I think this recent storm really restores everyone's hopes on having a great season. Uh, the woods are great, the trails are great. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers that Stowe has right now, but they are mostly open and uh, it's perfect no matter what type of skier or rider you are.
15: Another skier planned the trip months ago and drove for eight hours to get here. He said the winter's storm just made conditions perfect.
11: Uh, I'm from Pennsylvania, a little west of Reading. Pennsylvania. Uh, came up here with my son, as a he gave it to me as a birthday present for a long weekend. Uh, the snow is fantastic and the skiing is great so far. We've only done one run, but uh, it, it's been fantastic.
15: In other parts of the country, the storm wreaked havoc, but people at this ski resort seem to be making the best of it.
0: A French brewery is dyeing its beer blue using seaweed with natural pigments. This colourful drink also wows beer lovers with a fresh taste. Let's take a look.
12: A French brewer has succeeded in making a unique blue beer known as Line. The beer's blue hue comes from spirulina, an algae grown in basins on a farm in France. It's true
7: that we can directly see that the water is green. You have to look through a microscope and go further to really see its spiral form. This spirulina, which we use as a health and dietary supplement, is also what we use to extract the blue pigment for in the blue beer.
12: The blue pigment is added during the brewing process. The brewery, known as Hoppy Urban Brew, sold 1,500 bottles of the blue beer between October and December last year. The company is now ramping up production to meet the ever-rising demand. It
7: is interesting to hear the reactions from customers who want more, and even from those who are curious to see all that we could do with beer. There's very few limits on what recipes we can do.
12: One of the company's employees tastes a newly produced bottle of beer.
8: We can taste that it has a light alcohol content with quite the taste of hops. With slight notes of citrus fruits. And in the back of the mouth, there's a slight taste of lychee. It's quite refreshing.
12: One challenge for producers was achieving a blue hue, as the beer's natural yellow hue often leads to a greenish tint. But brewery staff say the popularity of the product has been encouraging.
0: A photographer in Hawaii says he feels lucky to have captured a beautiful moment in nature. Jacob Vandervelde said he was on the shore near Waimea Bay in Oahu when he saw water spouting up from a whale's blowhole about 200 yards away. It was a little far to fly his drone, but he decided to take the chance to see if he could get it on video. Just take a look, a whale and dolphin spinning and playing together in the ocean. Such a calm moment. Vander Veld says it was like finding a needle in a haystack. He says he has never seen anything like it, but he sees it as a sign of hope. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.